Father, we just sang about your love, all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to feel the weight of your love for us tonight. That we would not hear these truths as Sunday school truths that we've heard over and over again and just brush them off like we've done so many times, Lord. Even those of us in the room who are children of God, we hear of the cross, we hear of your love for us, and we think, oh, that's great, that's nice. Moving on. God, may we stop and stay here for a little while tonight. May we come to understand the reality of your love for us. God, would you show up in power tonight? Your gospel is your power to save. And so, God, I pray for students in this room who don't know you, that you would call them to salvation, that they would see the fact that you died in their place for their sins, that you would grant that person, that student, repentance and saving faith tonight, that you would do that tonight. We trust that you work in the proclamation of your word and your gospel, and so we ask you to do more than we could ever ask or imagine tonight. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 is where we're at tonight. This is the next two verses, and then tomorrow night will be the next two after that. So we're staying right there in 1 John chapter 4. The main idea that I want us to see tonight is that real love, if you've ever wondered, what is love? Where can I see love displayed? It's not in Hollywood. It's not in music. It's not in a movie. It's not anywhere like that. Real love is displayed or real love is revealed in the sending of the Son of God. And we're going to look into what that means, what that looks like from 1 John chapter. Four. And the first thing I want us to see, the question that is before us tonight is how do we know that God is a God of love? We ended there last night in verse 8. God is love. God tells us that He is love. But how do we know that? God just tell us He's love and we just believe that God is love? Well, yes, but God goes further than that. John is going further to show to us, to prove to us that God is a God of love. God is not all talk. God demonstrates His love. And so we read in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The first thing we see, God sent His Son that we might live God sent His Son that we might live. And we see here in verse 9 that real love is revealed in the sending of the Son. He says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That means it was revealed among us. It was made known to us and among us in this way. God's love was revealed. So God doesn't simply just tell us that He's a God of love. He doesn't simply... Uh, Say to us, hey, I'm, I'm loving God, guys. He actually loves. He actually sends his love. Notice that his love was sent. God sent his only son. The implication here is that Jesus' life did not begin in Bethlehem. Jesus has always existed. Jesus has no beginning. You and I have a birthday. Jesus has a birthday, but really no birthday. He never 
had a moment where he did not exist. Jesus has always existed and always will exist. Jesus was simply sent to Bethlehem, and the way in which he came was birth, which is so cool if you think about it. Jesus left the glories and perfection of heaven to come here. Notice that he was God's only son. God sent his only son into the world. In other words, God didn't have a row of sons and one to spare. God didn't send his least favorite son. Hey, Jesus, you're the youngest dude. Get down there. None of, none of the other cats want to do this. You go. He's his only son. And in regularly in the Bible, in the New Testament, multiple times God says audibly, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased in other words, there is nothing about this Jesus that I wish could improve or get better. I am fully pleased and happy with everything about my son and everything he does. Your parents love you, but there are areas that you and I need to grow. There are areas in my life that my mom and dad look at and say, God, I wish Casey was better there. I love him, but gosh, he needs, he needs to grow here. God looks at Jesus He's totally perfect. Complete and total perfection. God sent His only Son. And notice Jesus' unworthy destination into the world. You partner this up with John 3.16. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. This world here. This is different than what Andrew preached this morning. God doesn't love the things of this world. God loves the peoples of the world the ethnicities of the world. Jesus was sent from the perfection of heaven, but he was sent to our fallen, broken world. Jesus was sent out of comfort and into discomfort. Jesus was sent out of riches into rags. That's where Jesus was sent. Just wisdom. When God sends us, most of the time, it's, it's not to a desirable location but a location that is in desperate need for his grace and love. And that was the world. That was the place that we find ourselves. That is where God sent his son. Jesus went obediently, willingly, joyfully to the world. Notice here also that real love is revealed in the sending of the son, but real life is enjoyed only through Jesus. He keeps writing in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we, people, might live through Him. We might live through Him. Now, that seems interesting. That seems strange. You and I are alive and well right now. Even people that don't know Jesus are alive and well right now. Maybe you're in this room, you don't know Jesus, and you're alive right now. But Anna read earlier Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and I want to go back to that. This describes every person who is outside of Christ, and this describes every person, if you are in Christ, who you once were. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That means everybody but God. 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This passage shows us our spiritual resume outside of Christ. We were dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. That's our spiritual resume apart from Christ. Not great. But God, it says, because of his great love, makes us alive together with Christ. People who don't know Jesus simply exist. They do not live. They do not live. They simply exist. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you are simply existing. You don't have life. You could have everything you could possibly dream that would be, this is the good life. I saw on Instagram, I think, I don't know if it's popular or trending. I don't know Instagram, but it's, I've been seeing a lot of living the best life, living my best life, living my good life. And it's a picture of somebody doing something that we would all prefer doing as opposed to what we're currently doing. Living the good life. That's not what we mean here. You could have everything. You could have everything you could possibly imagine. But if you don't know Jesus, you don't have anything. You don't have life. Fill in the blank. Fame, fortune, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, 10 girlfriends, 10 boyfriends. Fill in the blank. You could have it all and not have Jesus and not have life. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I believe this same is true. Apart from Jesus, you have nothing. You have nothing. Now, there's a danger in thinking this way, and we're tempted to think in this way, that we can tack Jesus onto our good life. We can have all these good things, and they're just accessories, and we have Jesus too. And Jesus is just one accessory to our already good life, and he just makes it better. Jesus did not come to make our decent lives better lives. Jesus came to bring to us dead people actual life. Jesus is our only hope for life. There is no life apart from Jesus. The most lowly, poor beggar in the slums of a third world country that has Jesus has infinitely more than the most wealthy person in the most privileged location in the nicest house without Jesus. And I fear that we think we really, really want the good life and we'll just tack Jesus on. We want an Instagram-worthy life and Jesus is just one aspect of that. Without Jesus, we don't have life. Notice the second major point here that while God sent his son that we might live, notice the reverse is true. God sent his son that he might die. Jesus' reason in coming is that we might live, but... He's going to pay a price. 
so that we could live. He will die. This is how our living is accomplished. Our living is accomplished by Jesus' dying and being raised again three days later. Notice here in verse 10, real love has been initiated by God, not us. John writes, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God's love for you was not motivated by your love for him or anything about you. Now, this is so freeing, if you really think about it. We have to perform in almost every area of our life. You want good grades? you got to work for it. Some of you don't have to work for it. I'm totally jealous of you. If you want to make the team, you've got to work for it. If you want to get into a particular group of friends, don't be a doofus and conform to their way of life. If you want a girlfriend, don't be a doofus and follow her on Instagram. When it comes to Jesus, there is nothing that we do to compel him to love us. We do not perform in front of Jesus so that then he will love us. We are what we are, but God is love, and in his great heart of love, in spite of all that we are, unmoved by anything that we've done, he has pursued us in love. That is so, so good. So you come to Jesus weary and sunburnt and mad. Come on. Bring it on. He's pursued us in love. Us. God's love for us is great and all, but we can't even begin to understand it until we understand who we are. And this is an uphill battle because I think our generation was raised, I'm throwing myself in here. We were raised to be entitled to everything, we deserve everything. And I think because we live with that mentality, whether we know we do or not, we do. It hinders our view of the love of God for us. Because when you really think about it, and we, when you really look at the Bible, we don't deserve much. If you really don't believe you're all that bad, God's love is not going to sound all that great to you. But remember Ephesians 2, we were dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. Romans 5 tells us that we were weak, ungodly sinners who were enemies of God. The God who has no beginning and has no end, eternally happy and content in loving fellowship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he created the world. He created us to live in it. He created you and I to enjoy loving him, the greatest treasure of all, and to enjoy loving one another. And instead of loving God and one another, we chose to love the stuff God made and pretend like God's not even there. He's... We're like the kid on Christmas morning that grabs their favorite present, opens it up, this is really cool, goes, hides behind the Christmas tree, enjoys the present, ignores the parents and their siblings, and just plays with their gift. Oh, and by the way, Mom, when the cinnamon rolls are ready, I'll be behind the Christmas tree. Bring them over. That's us. We've settled for creation versus creator. We've settled for God's stuff instead of God. And yet God pursued us in love. God still pursued us. How exactly did he pursue us? Well, he sent his son. And now we really get to what the sending of the son looks like. He says it's 
in the end of verse 10, and sent his son to be, this is a big phrase, but it is packed, the propitiation for our sins. You see here that real life is enjoyed only through Jesus who laid his down. So did God send Jesus to simply be a loving example to us? Many will say that. Did God send Jesus to do some nice things for some people while he, was, while he was on earth, to perform some miracles, to show the world that he was God and then go back to heaven? No, that is not the reason God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to put him to death in your place. That is why Jesus Came. God is love, but God is also holy at the same time. Therefore, God must punish sin. And sin against an eternal, huge God deserves massive consequences. So here's what you and I deserve. As entitled, as our entitled generation, here's what we deserve. Here's what we're entitled to. We deserve to suffer God's wrath forever away from the presence of God in a real place called hell. That is what we deserve period. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve a nicer bunk bed in Sullivan or Calhoun. <laughs> I want you to picture every ounce of water in the ocean just scooped up in a big bucket. It's a big bucket, okay? We're not talking kitty bucket big bucket held over your head and 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 your head, God should turn that bucket and unleash all of it on all of us forever and ever and ever. But the beauty of the gospel is that God took your bucket and he poured it on Jesus. And Jesus took every ounce of the wrath of God that you deserve and he drank it he took all of it that's what it means that he is the propitiation for our sins that means he satisfied the wrath of God that you and I deserve that's coming your way this is what Paul means when he calls us to comprehend the depths of the love of God this is the depths of the love of God my guess is that many of you in this room have, have been in some low moments in your life. Now, you're in middle school, so you've got some low ones coming for you. Sorry. You're going to hit some lower ones. I promise you. But many of you have likely felt totally worthless at some point, totally lonely, maybe completely filthy because you got caught doing something embarrassing. You felt like life was over when that happened to you. And you've thought, this is as low as it gets. And Jesus says to you on the cross, I've been lower. I've been lower than you could ever imagine. There is nothing lower than where I was on the cross. I went to the lowest possible place so that you don't have to. Jesus has experienced nothing but joyful, perfect community with God, the Father, and the Spirit for all of eternity past. But on the cross, Jesus took our filth. Jesus took our sin, he took our worthlessness, and he took our shame and guilt, and God abandoned him, as Pastor Chad just shared with us. He abandoned his only son with whom he is well pleased 
so that he could love those of us who really are filthy and sinful and worthless and guilty. We're the real worthless ones, not Jesus, but God treated Jesus as if he was the worthless one. That's the depths of the love of God. Some of you have been in a low place, but hear me. If you don't know Jesus, there is a really, really low place that awaits you. It's the low place that Jesus went for you. And Jesus took the wrath of God for our sins. And you can either trust that he paid for your sins, or you can reject them and pay for your sins yourself. And you will experience what Jesus experienced forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus is saying to you, why? I love you. He's saying to you, middle school students, turn from your sin. Hate your sin. Leave it right here at Garden City. Don't take it on the bus. Don't even take it out of this room. And run to Jesus, totally captivated by his love that was displayed for you at the cross. He welcomes you with open arms in all of your weakness, in all of your failures, in all of your feeling of worthlessness and filth. Come. Bring it on. So what? Am I captivated by the love of God through Jesus Christ? That means, am I just fixed and amazed at how God could love me in this way? How could God love me in this way? I want to read a quote. This is an old dead guy, but what he says is good. How could any of us look at all of this, the love of God, and believe it and not be lost in love to God? How can we contemplate these things and not be utterly broken down? How can any hatred remain in us? How can we do anything but love one another as we contemplate such amazing love? How can we look at these things and believe them and not feel utterly unworthy and ashamed of ourselves and feel that we owe all and everything to Him and that our whole lives must be given to express gratitude, our praise, and our thanksgiving? Oh, let us resolve together to meditate more and more every day upon this amazing love. Go over these things. Study them. Read the Bible about them. Examine them. Go on looking at the love of God, contemplating the love of God until your heart is broken and you feel the love of God completely possessing you. That's a scary word, but... He's saying, look at the love of God, jump into the love of God displayed for you at the cross until it breaks you down. And you can't help but to ooze love like God oozes love. We bring nothing to the table. And that is so, so good. I'll close with this illustration. This is kind of... Silly, but the other day, my daughter woke up from a nap. She was in a bad mood, and she stunk because she had poop in her diaper. 
All right. That's true of none of you. I don't, I hope not. Sixth grade boys, I don't know, maybe. But she got up from her nap. She was in a bad mood and she stunk. And I picked her up and I was like, oh, you stink and you're in a bad mood. But I sat down and I was like, and I, I wasn't thinking this. I was just like, but that's okay. I love you anyways. And instantly I thought in that moment of God's love for us, when we stink and we're in a bad mood and we, when we are just total failures, God's like, it's okay. I love you anyways. Why? Why does God love us for those of us who are in Jesus? Why do I love my daughter in that moment? Because she's mine. Because she's my daughter. And it doesn't matter. And there is nothing that she can do to change my affection for her. And those of you who are in Christ, those of you who have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone, there is nothing that you can do to make God say, no, you're too stinky. You're too filthy. God says, you're mine. And I love you anyways. Let's pray together. Lord, your love is so amazing. For the one in the room that has, is totally unmoved by your love displayed on the cross, Lord, I pray that you would break their heart. I pray that you would lead them to a place in their search for love, because we're all searching for it, to where you would show them the vanity of looking for love anywhere else but in you that all of their hopes and all of their dreams would come crashing down on them and they would be led to see that only you remain. Only you are good. Only you come through on what you promise because you came from heaven to lay down your life. You took the wrath of God in our place and you rose again conquering our greatest enemies. Nothing else can say that. No one else loves us like this. So God, may we come to you with all of our fears and all of our failures and all of our sin. May we cast them. May we leave them in this room. May we run to you with repentant hearts and open hands, captivated by your love displayed for us on the cross. Oh God, would you do a work in our hearts. Overwhelm us with your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.